Act Two of the Notorious Mrs. Ebsmith by Arthur Wing Pinero. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Two. The scene is the same as that of the previous act. Through the windows, some mastheads and flapping sails are seen in the distance. The light is that of late afternoon. Agnes, very plainly dressed, is sitting at the table, industriously copying from a manuscript. After a moment or two, Antonio and Nella enter the room, carrying a dressmaker's box, which is corded and labeled. E permesso, signora? Permitta, signora. Uno scatolone per la signora. An enormous box for the signora. Agnes, turning her head. Eh? È venuto con la ferrovia. It has come by the railway. Antonio consulting the label. Da Firenze. From Florence. By railway from Florence. Nella reading from the label. Emilia Badini, via Rondinelli. Bardini, that's the dressmaker. There must be some mistake. Non è per me, Nella. It isn't for me, Nella. Antonio and Nella carry the box to her animatedly. Ma guardi, signora. But look, signora. Alla signora Cleave. E poi abbiamo pagato il porto della ferrovia. Besides, we have paid the railway dues upon it. Agnes collecting her sheets of paper. Hush, hush, don't trouble me just now. Mettila n'importe They place the box upon another table. La corda intaccherebbe la forbice della signora. Vuole Antonio Latali? The cord would blunt the signora's scissors. Shall Antonio cut the cord? Agnes pinning her sheets of paper together. I'll see about it by and by. Laissez-moi. Nella softly to Antonio. Talia, Talia. Cut, cut. Antonio cuts the cord, whereupon Nella utters a little scream. Agnes turning, startled. What is it? Nella pushing Antonio away. Ah, questo stupido non ha capito la signora e ha tagliata la coda. The stupid fellow misunderstood the signora and has severed the cord. Agnes rising. It doesn't matter. Be quiet. Nella removing the lid from the box angrily. Ed ecco la scatola aperta contro voglia della signora. And now here is the box open against the signora's wish inquisitively pushing aside the paper which covers the contents of the box oh dio si vede tutto quel che vi è oh god and all the contents exposed when the paper is removed some beautiful material trimmed with lace etc is seen guardi guardi signora signora look look agnes examines the contents of the box with a puzzled air Che bellezza! How beautiful! Antonio to Nella. Il padrone. The master. Nella curtsies to Lucas, then withdraws with Antonio. Lucas, the dressmaker in the Via Rondolini at Florence, the woman who ran up the little gown I have on now. Lucas, with a smile. Whatever. This has just come from her. <laughs> What does she mean by sending that showy thing to me? It is my gift to you. 
agnes producing enough of the contents of the box to reveal a very handsome dress this i knew bardini had your measurements i wrote to her instructing her to make that i remember lady headsbury in something similar last season agnes examining the dress a mere strap for the sleeve and sufficiently decolleté i should imagine my dear agnes i can't understand your reason for trying to make yourself a plain-looking woman when nature intended you for a pretty one a pretty lucas looking hard at her you are pretty oh as a girl i may have been disdainfully I'm pretty what good did it do anybody fingering the dress with aversion and when would you have me hang this on my bones oh when we are dining out or dining in a public place why not look your best in a public place look my best you know i don't think of this sort of garment in connection with our companionship lucas it is not an extraordinary garment for a lady rustle of silk glare of arms and throat they belong to my mind to such a very different order of things from that we have set up shall i appear before you in ill-made clothes clumsy boots why we are just as we always have been since we've been together i don't tell you that your appearance is beginning to offend offend agnes you you pain me i simply fail to understand why you should allow our mode of life to condemn you to perpetual slovenliness slovenliness no no shabbiness agnes looking down upon the dress she is wearing shabbiness lucas with a laugh forgive me dear i'm forgetting you are wearing a comparatively new afternoon gown at any rate i'll make this brighter to-morrow with some trimmings willingly pointing to the dressmaker's box then you won't insist on my decking myself out in rags of that kind <sighs> there's something in the idea i needn't explain lucas fretfully insist i'll not urge you again pointing to the box get rid of it somehow are you copying that manuscript of mine i had just finished it already taking up her copy how beautifully you write going to her eagerly what do you think of my essay it bristles with truth it is vital my method of treating it hardly a word out of place lucas chilled hardly a word not a word in fact no dear i dare say your hardly is nearer the mark i assure you it is brilliant lucas what a wretch i am to ever find the smallest fault in you shall we dine out to-night as you wish dear at the grunwald he goes to the table to pick up his manuscript when his back is turned she looks at her watch quickly we'll solemnly toast to this shall we in montefiscone agnes eyeing him askance you are going out for your chocolate this afternoon as usual i suppose yes but i'll look through your copy first so that i can slip it into the post at once you are not coming out not till dinner time lucas kissing her on the forehead i talked over the points of this 
tapping the manuscript. With a man this morning? He praised some of the phrases warmly. A man? In an altered tone. The Duke? Uh, yes. Agnes with assumed indifference, replacing the lid on the dressmaker's box. You have seen him again today, then? We strolled about together for half an hour on the piazza. Agnes replacing the cord round the box. You... you don't dislike him as much as you did. He's someone to chat to. I suppose one gets accustomed even to a man one dislikes. Agnes, almost inaudibly. I suppose so. As a matter of fact, he has the reputation of being rather a pleasant companion. Though I... I confess, I... I don't find him very entertaining. He goes out. She stands staring at the door through which he has disappeared. There's a knock at the opposite door. Agnes rousing herself. Fortune. Fortune. The door opens and Gertrude enters hurriedly. Fortune is complacently smoking a cigarette in the campo. <sighs> Mrs. Thorpe. Gertrude breathlessly. Mr. Cleve is out, I conclude. No, he is later than usual going out this afternoon. Gertrude irresolutely. I don't think I'll wait then. But do tell me, you have been crossing the streets to avoid me during the past week. What has made you come to see me now? I would come. I've given poor Amos a slip. He believes I'm buying beads for the Catholic school children. Agnes shaking her head. Ah, oh, Mrs. Thorpe. Of course, it's perfectly brutal to be underhanded. But we're leaving for home tomorrow. I couldn't resist it. Agnes, coldly. Perhaps I'm very ungracious. Gertrude taking Agnes' hand. The fact is, Mrs. Cleef, oh, what do you wish me to call you? Agnes withdrawing her hand. Well, you're off tomorrow. Agnes will do. Thank you. The fact is, it's been a bad week with me. Restless, fanciful, and I haven't been able to get you out of my head. I'm sorry. Your story, your present life, you, yourself. Such a contradiction to what you profess. Well, it all has a sort of fascination for me. My dear, you're simply not sleeping again. Turning away. You'd better go back to the ammonia Kirk prescribed for you. Gertrude taking a card from her purse. <laughs> you want to physic me, do you, after worrying my poor little brain as you've done? Going to her. The rectory, Dallaham, Catherick Moor, Yorkshire, you know. There can be no great harm in you writing to me sometimes. Agnes refusing the card. No. Under the circumstances, I can't promise that. Gertrude wistfully. Very well. Agnes facing her. Oh, can't you understand that it can only be disturbing to both of us for an impulsive, emotional creature like yourself to keep up acquaintanceship with a woman who takes life, as I do. We'll drop each other, leave each other alone. She walks away and stands leaning upon the stove, her back towards Gertrude. Gertrude replacing the card in her purse. 
as you please picture me sometimes in that big hollow shell of a rectory at ketherick strolling about my poor dead little chap's empty room agnes under her breath gertrude turning to go god bless you gertrude with altered manner you you have the trick of making me lonely also going to gertrude taking her hands and fondling them i'm tired of talking to the walls and your blood is warm to me shall i tell you or not or not do tell me there's a man here in venice who is torturing me flaying me alive torturing you he came here about a week ago he is trying to separate us you and mr cleeve yes you are afraid he will succeed succeed what nonsense you talk what upset you then after all it's difficult to explain the feeling is so indefinite it's like something in the air this man is influencing us both oddly lucas is as near illness again as possible i can hear his nerves vibrating and i you know what a fish-like thing i am as a rule just look at me now as i'm speaking to you but don't you and mr cleeve talk to each other as children do when the lights are put out of everything but what's uppermost in their minds you have met the man i intend to meet him who is he a relation of lucas's the duke of st olfert's he has right on his side then if you choose to think so supposing he does succeed in taking mr cleeve away from you agnes staring at gertrude what now do you mean yes there is a brief pause then agnes walks across the room wiping her brow with her handkerchief i tell you that idea's preposterous oh i can't understand you you'll respect my confidence agnes agnes sitting well i fancy this man's presence here has simply started me thinking of a time oh it may never come a time when i may cease to be necessary to mr cleeve do you understand i remember what you told me of your being prepared to grant each other freedom if yes yes and for the past few days this idea has filled me with a fear of the most humiliating kind what fear the fear lest after all my beliefs and protestations i should eventually find myself loving lucas in the helpless common way of women gertrude under her breath i see the dread that the moment may arrive some day when should it be required of me i shan't feel myself able to give him up easily her head drooping uttering a low moan oh lucas dressed for going out enters carrying agnes copy of his manuscript rolled and addressed for the post agnes rises agnes to lucas mrs thorpe starts for home to-morrow she is called to say good-bye lucas to gertrude it is very kind is your brother quite well gertrude embarrassed thanks quite lucas smiling 
I believe I have added to his experience of the obscure corners of Venice during the past week. I... I don't... Why? By so frequently putting him to the inconvenience of avoiding me. Oh, Mr. Cleave, we... I... Uh, I... Please, tell your brother that I asked after him. I... I can't. He doesn't know I've... I've... Ah, really? With a bow. Goodbye. He goes out, Agnes accompanying him to the door. Gertrude to herself. Brute! To Agnes. Oh, I suppose Mr. Cleave has made me look precisely as I feel. How? Like people deserve to feel who do godly, mean things. Fortune appears. Fortune to Agnes significantly. Mr. Cleave has just gone out. Vous savez, n'est-ce pas? Fortune glancing at Gertrude. But Madame is now engaged. Gertrude to Agnes. Oh, I, I am going. Agnes to Gertrude. Wait. Softly to her. I want you to hear this little comedy. Fortune shall repeat my instructions. To Fortune. Les ordres que je vous ai donnés, répétez-les. Fortune speaking in an undertone. On the left-hand side of the campo. No, no, too hot. Fortune allowed with a slight shrug of his shoulders. On the left-hand side of the campo. Yes. In one of the doorways between Fiorentini's and the little lamp shop. The, the, um, the person. Precisely. Dépêchez-vous. Fortune bows and retires. Fortune flatters himself he is engaged in some horrid intrigue. You guess who I am expecting? The Duke? Agnes ringing a bell. I've written to him asking him to call upon me this afternoon while Lucas is at Florian's. Referring to her watch. He is to kick his heels about the campo till I let him know I am alone. Will he obey you? A week ago he was curious to see the sort of animal I am. If he holds off now, I'll hit upon some other plan. I will come to close quarters with him if only for five minutes. Goodbye. They embrace, then walk together to the door. You still refuse my address? You bat. Didn't you see me make a note of it? You! Agnes, her hand on her heart. Here. Gertrude gratefully. Ah. <laughs> she goes out. Agnes at the open door. Gertrude. Gertrude outside. Yes. Agnes in a low voice. Remember, in my thoughts, I pace that lonely little room of yours with you. As if to stop Gertrude from re-entering. Hush, no, no. She closes the door sharply. Nella appears. Agnes pointing to the box on the table. Portez ce carton dans ma chambre. Nella trying to peep into the box as she carries it. Signora, si ella si mettesse questo magnifico abito, oh, quanto sarebbe più bella. Signora, if you were to wear this magnificent dress, oh, how much more beautiful you would be. 
Nella goes out. Fortune enters. Eh bien. Fortune glances over his shoulder. The Duke of St. Olfert's enters. The wreck of a very handsome man with delicate features, a polished manner, and a smooth, weary voice. He limps, walking with the aid of a cane. Fortune retires. Duke of St. Olfert's. St. Olfert's bowing. Mrs. Ebsmith. Mr. Cleve would have opposed this rather out-of-the-way proceeding of mine. He doesn't know I have asked you to call on me today. So I conclude. It gives our meeting a pleasant air of adventure. I shall tell him directly he returns. St. Olfert's gallantly. And destroy a cherished secret. You are an invalid. Motioning him to be seated. Pray don't stand. Sitting. Your grace is a man who takes life lightly. It will relieve you to hear that I wish to keep sentiment out of any business we have together. I believe I haven't the reputation of being a sentimental man. Seating himself. You send for me, Mrs. Ebsmith. To tell you I have come to regard the suggestion you were good enough to make a week ago. Suggestion? Shakespeare, the musical glasses, you know. Oh, yes. <laughs> I've come to think it a reasonable one. At the moment, I considered it a gross impertinence. Written requests are so dependent on a sympathetic reader. That meeting might have saved you time and trouble. I grudge neither. It might, perhaps, have shown your grace that your view of life is too narrow, that your method of dealing with its problems wants variety, that, in point of fact, your employment upon your present mission is distinctly inappropriate. Our meeting today may serve the same purpose. My view of life? That all men and women may safely be judged by the standards of the casino and the dancing garden. I have found those standards not altogether untrustworthy. My method? To scoff, to sneer, to ridicule. Ah, and how much is there, my dear Mrs. Ebsmith, belonging to humanity that survives being laughed at? More than you credit, Duke. For example, I, I think it possible you may not succeed in grinning away the compact between Mr. Cleve and myself. Compact? Between serious man and woman. Serious woman? Ah, at least you must see that. Serious woman. Rising, facing him. You can't fail to realize, even from this slight personal knowledge of me, that you are not dealing just now with some poor, feeble ballet girl. But how well you put it. Rising. And how frank of you to furnish, as it were, a plan of the fortifications to their... their... Why do you stick at enemy? It's not the word. Ah, opponent. For the moment, perhaps, opponent. I am never an enemy, I hope, where your sex is concerned. No, I am aware that you are not over-nice in the bestowal of your patronage, where my sex is concerned. You regard my appearance in an affair of morals as a quaint one. Your grace is beginning to know me. Dear lady... You take pride, I hear, in belonging to the people. You would delight me amazingly by giving me an inkling of the popular notion of my career. Agnes walking away. Excuse me. St. Olfert's following her. Please, 
It would be instructive, perhaps chastening. I entreat. No. You are letting sentiment intrude itself. Sitting in pain. I challenge you. At Eden, you were curiously precocious. The headmaster, referring to your aptitude with books, prophesied a brilliant future for you. Your tutor, alarmed by your attachment to a certain cottage at Ascot, which was minus a host, thanked his stars to be rid of you. At Oxford, you closed all books, except, of course, betting books. I detected the tendency of the age. Scholarship for the masses. I considered it my turn to be merely intuitively intelligent. You left Oxford a gambler and a spendthrift, a year or two in town established you as an amiable, undisguised debauchee. The rest is modern history. Complete your sketch. Don't stop at the rude outline. Your affairs falling into disorder, you promptly married a wealthy woman, the poor, rich lady who has for some years honored you by being your duchess at a distance. This burlesque of a marriage helped to reassure your friends, and actually obtained for you an ornamental appointment for which an overtaxed nation provides a handsome stipend. But to sum up, you must always remain an irritating source of uneasiness to your own order, as, luckily, you will always be a sharp-edged weapon in the hands of mine. St. Olford's with a polite smile. Yours. Ah. To that small, unruly section to which I understand you particularly attach yourself. To the... Agnes, with changed manner, flashing eyes, harsh voice, and violent gestures. The sufferers, the toilers, that great crowd of old and young, old and young stamped by excessive labor and privation of all one pattern, whose backs bend under burdens, whose bones ache and grow awry, whose skins, in youth and in age, are wrinkled in yellow, from those whom a fair share of the earth's space and of the light of day is withheld. Looking down at him fiercely. The half-starved, who are bidden to stand with their feet in the kennel to watch gay processions in which you and your kind are born high. Those who would strip the robes from a dummy aristocracy and cast the broken dolls into the limbo of a nation's discarded toys. Those who mark me are already upon the highway marching marching whose time is coming as surely as yours is going st ulfert's clapping his hands gently bravo bravo really a flash of the old fire admirable she walks away to the window with an impatient exclamation your present affair to occur does not wholly absorb you then mrs ebsmith even now the murmurings of love have not entirely superseded the thunderous denunciations of... Hmm. You once bore a nickname, my dear. Agnes Turney Sharply. Huh. So you've heard that, have you? Oh, yes. Mad Agnes. He bows deprecatingly. We appear to have studied each other's history pretty closely. Dear lady... This is not the first time the same roof has covered us. No. Five years ago, on a broiling night in July, I joined a party of men who made an excursion from a clubhouse in St. James's Street to the unsavoury district of St. Luke's. 
Oh, yes. A depressing building. The Iron Hall, Barker Street. No, Carter Street. Precisely. We took our places amongst a handful of frowsy folks who cracked nuts and blasphemed. On the platform stood a gaunt, white-faced young lady, resolutely engaged in making up by extravagance of gesture for the deficiencies of an exhausted voice. There, said one of my companions, that is the notorious Mrs. Ebsmith, upon which a person near us, whom I judged from his air of leaden laziness to be a British workingman, blurted out, Notorious Mrs. Ebsmith, Mad Agnes, that's the name her sanguinary friends give her, Mad Agnes. At that moment, the eye of the panting oratress caught mine for an instant, and you and I first met. Agnes, passing her hand across her brow thoughtfully. Mad Agnes. To him, with a grim smile. We have both been criticized in our time pretty sharply, eh, Duke? Yes. Let that reflection make you more charitable to a poor peer. A knock at the door. Entree. Fortune and Antonio enter. Antonio carrying tea, etc., upon a tray. Agnes to St. Olphans. You drink tea, fellow sufferer. He signifies assent. Fortune places the tray on the table, then withdraws with Antonio. Agnes pours out tea. St. Olfert's producing a little box from his waistcoat pocket. No milk, dear lady. And may I be allowed saccharin? She hands him his cup of tea. Their eyes meet. Agnes, scornfully. Tell me now, really, why do the cleaves... Send a rip like you to do their serious work. <laughs> rip. <laughs> Poor solemn family. Oh. <laughs> Set a thief to catch a thief, you know. That, I presume, is their motive. Agnes pausing in the act of pouring out and staring at him. What do you mean? St. Ulfert's sipping his tea. Set a thief to catch a thief. And by deduction, set one sensualist, who, after all, doesn't take the trouble to deceive himself, to rescue another who does. If I understand you, that is an insinuation against Mr. Cleave. Insinuation? <laughs> Agnes, looking at him fixedly. Make yourself clearer. You have accused me, Mrs. Epsmith, of narrowness of outlook. In the present instance, dear lady... It is your judgment which is at fault. Mine? It is not I who fall into the error of confounding you with the designing danseurs of commerce. It is, strangely enough, you who have failed in your estimate of Mr. Lucas Cleave. What is my estimate? I pay you the compliment of believing that you have looked upon my nephew as a talented young gentleman whose future was seriously threatened by domestic disorder. A young man of a certain courage and independence, for the share of the brain and spirit of those terrible human pests called reformers. The one gentleman, in fact, most likely to aid you in advancing your vivacious social and political tenets. You have such thoughts in your mind? I can't deny it. Ah, but what is the real, the actual Lucas Cleave? 
well what is the real lucas cleave poor dear fellow i'll tell you going to the table to deposit his cup there while she watches him her hand tightly clasped a frightened look in her eyes the real lucas cleave coming back to her an egoist an egoist an egoist yes possessing ambition without patience self-esteem without self-confidence well afflicted with a desperate craving for the opium-like drug adulation persistently seeking the society of those whose white pink-tipped fingers fill the pernicious pipe most deftly and delicately eh i didn't pray go on i remember they looked to his marriage to check his dangerous fancy for the flutter of lace the purr of pretty women and now here he is loose again agnes suffering oh in short in intellect still nothing but a callow boy in body nervous bloodless hysterical in morals an epicure have done have done epicure offends you a vain woman would find consolation in the word enough of it enough enough she turns away beating her hands together the light in the room has gradually become subdued the warm tinge of sunset now color the scene outside the window st olfert's with a shrug of his shoulders the real lucas cleave no no untrue untrue lucas enters the three remain silent for a moment the duke of st olfert calls in answer to a letter i wrote him yesterday i wanted to make his acquaintance she goes out lucas after a brief pause by a lucky accident the tables were crowded at florian's i might have missed the chance of welcoming you in god's name duke why must you come here st olfert's fumbling in his pocket for a note god's name you bring the orthodox into the square firm then lucas handing the note to lucas a peremptory summons you need not have obeyed it st olfert's takes a cigarette from his case and limps away i looked about for you just now i wanted to see you how fortunate to tell you that this persecution must come to an end it has made me desperately wretched for a whole week persecution temptation dear lucas the process of inducing a man to return to his wife isn't generally described as temptation ah i won't hear another word of that proposal st olfert's shrugs his shoulders i say my people are offering me through you a deliberate temptation to be a traitor to which of these two women my wife pointing to the door or her am i really bound now it may be regrettable scandalous but the common rules of right and wrong have ceased to apply here finally duke and this is my message i intend to keep faith with the woman who sat by my bedside in rome the woman to whom i shouted my miserable story in my delirium the woman whose calm resolute voice healed me hardened me renewed me in the desire to live ah oh 
these modern nurses, in their greys or browns and snowy bibs. They have much to answer for, dear Lucas. No, no, why will you persist, all of you, in regarding this as a mere morbid infatuation, bred in the fumes of pastilles? It isn't so. Laugh, if you care to. But this is a meeting of affinities, of the solitary man and the truly sympathetic woman. And oh, oh, the sympathetic women. Oh, the unsympathetic women. There you have the cause of half the world's misery. The unsympathetic women. You should have loved one of them. I dare say I've done that in my time. Love one of these women? I know. Worship here. Yield yourself to the intoxicating daydreams that make the grimy world sweeter than any heaven ever imagined. How your heart leaps with gratitude for your good fortune. How compassionately you regard your unblessed fellow men. What may you not accomplish with such a mate beside you? How high will be your aims? How paltry every obstacle that bars your way to them. How sweet is to be the labor, and how divine the rest. Then you marry her. Marry her, and in six months, if you've plucked enough courage to do it, lag behind your shooting party and blow your brains out, by accident, at the edge of a turnip field. You have found out by that time all that there is to look for. The daily diminishing interest in your doings, the poorly assumed attention as you attempt to talk over some plan for the future, then the yawn, and, by degrees, the covert sneer, the little sarcasm, and finally, the frank open stare of boredom. Ah, Duke, when you all carry out your repressive legislation against women of evil lives, don't fail to include in your schedule the unsympathetic wives. They are the women whose victims show the sorriest scars. They are the really bad women of the world. All others are snow white in comparison. Yes. You've got a good deal of this in that capital essay you quoted from this morning. Dear fellow, I admit your home discomforts, but to jump out of the frying pan into this confounded, what does she call it, compact? Compact? A vague reference, as I understand, to your joint crusade against the blessed institution of marriage. Lucas, an alteration in his manner. Oh, oh, that idea. What... What has she been saying to you? Incidentally, she pitched into me, dear Lucas. She attacked my moral character. You must have been telling tales. Oh, I... I hope not. Of course we... Yes, yes. A little family gossip to pass the time while she has been dressing her hair, or... By the by, she doesn't appear to spend much time in dressing her hair. Lucas biting his lip. Really? Then she denounced the gilded aristocracy generally. Our day is over. We're broken wooden dolls and are going to be chucked. The old tune. 
but I enjoy the novelty of being so near the instrument. I assure you, dear fellow, I was within three feet of her when she deliberately to Folger squared me. Lucas with an uneasy laugh. You're the red flag, Duke. This spirit of revolt in her. It's ludicrously extravagant. But it will die out in time, when she's become used to being happy and cared for. Partly to himself with clenched hands. Yes, cared for. Die out. Bread in the bone, dear Lucas. On some topics, she's a mere echo of her father, if you mean that. The father? One of those public park vermin, eh? Dead, years ago. I once heard her bellowing in a dirty little shed in St. Luke's. I told you. Yes, you've told me. I sat there again, it seemed, this afternoon. The orator not quite so lean, perhaps. A little less witch-like, but... She was actually in want of food in those days. Poor girl. Partly to himself. I mean to remind myself of that constantly. Poor girl. Girl. Let me see. You're considerably her junior. No, no. A few months, perhaps. Oh, come. Well, years. Two or three. The voice remains rather raucous. My God, the voice is sweet. Well, considering the wear and tear, really, my dear fellow, I do believe this. I do believe that if you gowned her respectably... Lucas impulsively. Yes. Yes, I say so. I tell her that. St. Olbert's with a smile. Do you? That's odd now. What a topic. Poor Agnes's dress. Your taste used to be rather aesthetic. Even your own wife is one of the smartest women in London. Ha. Huh. Well... I must contrive to smother these aesthetic tastes of mine. It's a pity that other people retain their sense of the incongruous. Lucas, snapping his fingers. Other people. The public. The public. Come. You know well enough that unostentatious immodesty is no part of your partner's programme. Of course, you will find yourself by and by in a sort of perpetual parade with your... Crack-brained visionary. You shall not speak of her so. You shall not. St. Olford's unconcernedly. Each of you bearing a pole of the soiled banner, free union. <laughs> free union for the people. <laughs> My dear Lucas. Good heavens, Duke. Do you imagine, now that I am in sound health and mind again, that I don't see the hideous absurdity of these views of hers? Then why the deuce don't you listen a little more patiently to my views? No, no, I tell you, I intend to keep faith with her as far as I am able. She's so earnest, so pitiably earnest. If I broke faith with her entirely, it would be too damnably cowardly. Cowardly? Lucas pacing the room agitatedly. Besides, we shall do well together, after all, I believe, she and I. In the end, we shall make concessions to each other and settle down, somewhere abroad, peacefully. <laughs> and they called you a coming man at one time, didn't they? 
Oh, I, I shall make as fine a career with my pen as that other career would have been. At any rate, I ask you to leave me to it all, to leave me. Fortune enters. The shades of evening have now deepened. The glow of sunset comes into the room. I beg your pardon, sir. Well? It is past the time for you to dress for dinner. I'll come. Fortune goes out. When do we next meet, dear fellow? No. No, please not again. Nella enters excitedly. Nella speaking over her shoulder. Si, sí, signora. Equi il signore. Yes, signora. Here is the signor. To clean. Scusi, signore. Quando la vedrà come cara. Pardon, signor. When you see her, you'll see how sweet she looks. Agnes' voice is heard. Agnes outside. Am I keeping you waiting, Lucas? She enters, handsomely gowned, her throat and arms bare, the fashion of her hair roughly altered. She stops abruptly upon seeing St. Olphert's. A strange light comes into her eyes, her voice, manner, bearing all express triumph. The two men stare at her blankly. She appears to be a beautiful woman. Agnes Tanella. Un petit chien noir, Chicote. Cherchez-le. Nella withdraws. Ah, oh, you're not dressed, Lucas, dear. What, what time is it? He goes towards the door, still staring at Agnes. St. Olphert's looking at her and speaking in an altered tone. I fear my gossiping has delayed him. You, you dine out? At the Grunwald. Why don't you join us? Turning to Lucas lightly. Persuade him, Lucas. Lucas pauses at the door. Uh, impossible. Some friends of mine may arrive tonight. Lucas goes out. I am more than sorry. Agnes mockingly. Really? You are sure you are not shy of being seen with a notorious woman? My dear Mrs. Ebsmith. No, I forget. That would be unlike you. Mad people scare you, perhaps. <laughs> Don't be too rough. Come, Duke, confess. Isn't there more sanity in me than you suspected? St. Olverts, in a low voice, eyeing her. Much more. I think you are very clever. Lucas quietly re-enters the room. He halts upon seeing that St. Olverts still lingers. St. Olverts with a wave of the hand to Lucas. Just off, dear fellow. He offers his hand to Agnes. She quickly places hers behind her back. You... you are charming. He walks to the door, then looks round at the pair. Au revoir. St. Olford goes out. Au revoir. Her hand drooping suddenly, her voice hard and dull. You had better take me to Felice's before we dine, and buy me some gloves. Lucas coming to her and seizing her hand. Agnes, dear. Agnes releasing herself and sitting with a heavy, almost sullen look upon her face. Are you satisfied? Lucas by her side. You have delighted me. How sweet you look. Ah. Oh. You shall have twenty new gowns now. You shall see the women envying you and the men envying me. 
Aha! Fifty new gowns. You will wear them? Yes. Why? What has brought about this change in you? What? What? I know. You know? Exactly how you regard me. I don't understand you. Listen. Long ago in Florence, I began to suspect that we had made a mistake, Lucas. Even there, I began to suspect that your nature was not one to allow you to go through life sternly, severely, looking upon me more and more each day as a fellow worker, and less and less as a woman. I suspected this, or proved it, but still made myself believe that this companionship of ours would gradually become, in a sense, colder, more temperate, more impassive. Beating her brow. Never, never. Oh, a few minutes ago, this man, who means to part us if he can, drew your character, disposition, in a dozen words. You believe him? You credit what he says of me? I declared it to be untrue. Oh, but... 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 Agnes rising, seizing his arm. The picture he paints of you is not wholly a false one. Lucas, hark, attend to me. I resign myself to it all. Dear, I must resign myself to it. Resign yourself? Has life with me become so distasteful? Has it? Think. Why, when I realized the actual terms of our companionship, why didn't I go on my own way stoically? Why don't I go at this very moment? You really love me, do you mean? As simple, tender women are content to love. She looks at him, nods slowly, then turns away and droops over the table. He raises her and takes her in his arms. My dear girl, my dear, cold, warm-hearted girl. Oh, you couldn't bear to see me packed up in one of the Duke's traveling boxes and borne back to London, eh? She shakes her head. Her lips form the word, no. No fear of that, my... My sweetheart. Agnes gently pushing him from her. Quick, dress, take me out. You are shivering. Get your thickest wrap. That heavy brown cloak of mine. Yes. It's an old friend, but dreadfully shabby. You will be ashamed of me again. Ashamed? I'll write to Bardini about a new one tomorrow. I won't oppose you. I won't repel you any more. Repel me? I only urge you to reveal yourself as what you are, a beautiful woman. Ah, uh, am I that? Lucas kissing her. Beautiful, beautiful. Agnes with a gesture of abandonment. I'm glad. She leaves him and goes out. He looks after her for a moment thoughtfully, then suddenly passes his hands across his brow and opens his arms widely as if casting a burden from him. Oh, oh. Turning away alertly. Fortune. End of Act Two.